Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. The ballpoint pen that was invented numbers of years ago, decades ago, really. Uh, You ever notice the ballpoint pen, the cap, has holes on both ends? A lot of people don't know what that's for. I didn't know at first until I did some digging. Uh, here's, what's that for. here's what that is for. The creators of the ballpoint pen, when they first created it, the cap only had the one end that the pen would go into. But then the creators were actually walking through some parks one day, and they looked around just talking about this ballpoint pen. But as they were walking through, they noticed a bunch of children with ballpoint pen caps in their mouth. And one of them thought, man, if one of them ever choked on that, they would not be able to breathe. So they came up with the idea, let's put a hole on both ends. That way, if something goes down, there's still a little bit of air able to get through. I never knew that. Isn't that interesting? What about um, ridges on coins? Ridges on coins. If you were to look up the history of ridges on coins, when coins were first invented, I think they are not invented necessarily, but really being used 16th century, coins, they had a, a... smooth edge like our nickel does and a lot of a lot of people would shave off the edges and they'd shave it into one pile from all the coins and soon enough you could have enough coin shavings to create counterfeit coins so they started putting ridges on coins because then if you ever got a smooth coin you knew it was counterfeit because the ridges weren't there because it probably been shaved off so interesting thought how about paper Right, we all like, well, duh, pastor, like you write on paper. All right, what about the margins of the paper? Did you ever know why the margin is there? What's the purpose of it? Well, early on, when they first started creating paper, rats would come in and chew on the edges of the paper. So when they started creating like loose leaf paper or paper that you and I could use on an everyday basis, they put a margin there. That way, when you start writing, you are guaranteed that there's about an inch there that rats are gonna chew through that inch before they get to your writing. And so it would save on you having to redo work. Isn't that interesting? Here's one that just, I, I, I did not know this. What about the fifth pocket on jeans? You know this pocket right here? Most everybody, if you're like me, it's like, well, it's good to hold coins, you know, or rings or something like that. It actually, the purpose it was created for is that workers working in a, um, a mine or working in an industry, most of them had pocket watches. Well, they weren't wearing a vest, and so without that vest, they couldn't put a pocket watch in, so they had to have somewhere to store their pocket watch, so that's what that fifth pocket really is for, is your pocket watch. Now, There's a few of that might have known that, but probably everybody didn't know that. But if you ever think about it, there's a lot of things in life that we really don't know the exact purpose of. I use a ballpoint pen all the time. I never knew that if I choked on it, I would still live. I never knew the purpose of the two holes. I always wondered. I was like, is it like supposed to be a sharp, you sharpen a pen? I don't understand this, you know? You know what? There's a lot of things in life that we know they exist, 
but we don't know the purpose of them. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're finishing up a study looking at spiritual gifts. Remember with me that Paul, he's writing to the believers at Corinth. The believers at Corinth, they were a very pride, very proud group of people. The believers at Corinth were those that were led by pride. Um, they were very uh, schismatic. They were factional. What's that mean? They were divided. Their church, they were arguing over silly things. Remember Paul said, like, you guys are arguing over who your favorite preacher is, and you're just missing it. Paul wrote to them. In the first few chapters, he kind of gets on to them. And then from chapter seven on, he begins answering questions that they had written to him. And then from chapter 12 to chapter 14, he writes to them about the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, someone might ask the question, pastor, what is a spiritual gift? So we gave it this working definition that you can see, and it's this. Brian, you want to hit that? A divine or supernatural enablement given to us at salvation for the express purpose of glorifying God and serving others to be employed specifically through his local church. So God gifts you or gives you something to use for his glory. Now, here's what Paul does, and you stay with me this morning. The introduction the introduction and the reading of the verses is the longest part of the entire message, all right? If you remember what Paul said, he laid down some groundwork. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number one, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Hey, you've been acting ignorant in this. I want you to have clear thinking. I want you to know about spiritual gifts. So here's the foundation. If you have Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit of God. Right When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God's spirit moves in at that moment. It's not progressive. It doesn't take time. It is at the moment of your salvation, Jesus Christ moves in. So if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, here's what Paul said, then you have a spiritual gift. God enables you or gifts you a spiritual gift. And we walk through some of those spiritual gifts like the gift of administration or discernment or exhortation or giving or mercy, hospitality or the gift of missions. The, modern, the Bible calls it the evangelist. Uh, prophecy or the gift of serving, the gift of teaching. We kind of take it, have taken the gifts and lumped them into maybe these 10 groupings. And so Paul said, hey, if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are given a spiritual gift. There is something in your life like one of these to help you serve God. And then he also helped us understand this, that if you have a spiritual gift, then you have purpose among other believers and specifically at the church. You have purpose within the church. God has purpose with you in the church. Now, the gifts, we've been talking through them. And remember, if you've been with me, been with us in the study uh, the last few weeks, there's over 20 spiritual gifts that you could really identify in scripture. But we try to divide those up into three categories. So the three categories we've been talking through, there are speaking gifts, all right, that would be uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation. There are service gifts like the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, hospitality, or the gift of serving. Then there are sign gifts. Now, 
Sign gifts, remember, we talked about this in depth last week. I can't do it this week. We don't have the time. So if you missed it, go back and listen to the message last week. The sign gifts, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, and the gift of tongues, we believe that those signs have passed off the scene, have ceased. And the reason, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said there's going to come something All right, the word perfect there, there's gonna come something that comes on the scene. When that thing comes on the scene, the sign gifts are going to go away. Now, what were the sign gifts? The gift of tongues, specifically the gift of tongues. In the Bible, the gift of tongues was someone speaking in a language not known to them. They hadn't previously known it, but known to other people. It would be me getting up to speak today and all of a sudden I start speaking French or German or Spanish and someone here who knows that goes, wow, wow, I can hear that. That, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter number 10 and on, that was a sign gift given so that people could know what the message coming from God was, was validated. Hey, this is truth. Well, what we have is sign gifts have passed off the scene because now what do we have to validate the word of God, to validate the message, the word of God? Paul said the same thing about the gift of prophecy. All right, you still with me this morning? Remember, the introduction is the longest part, and this is even a five-point message. No, we're not gonna be here till one. We're gonna have a great day. We're gonna learn a lot, but we gotta get through the, the, the beginning part. Remember what Paul said about the gift of prophecy? Paul said about the gift of prophecy, he said, we prophesy in part. What what did he mean? We only have partial revelation, partial prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible times was foretelling that which had not been revealed. Okay, remember that. Foretelling that which not had been revealed. Paul never got up and said, all right, open your Bibles to the book of John. He, He didn't do that. He got up and he said, thus saith the Lord. Here's here's the message God gave me for you, all right? That was foretelling. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, or 1 Corinthians 13, that when something comes, that which is perfect, which again, we believe is scripture, when it comes, prophecy will change in operation. Now it's not foretelling something that has not been revealed. Instead, it is, the phrase is, forthtelling that which has been revealed, what does that mean? Hey, open your Bibles. Here's what the Bible says. Forthtelling, giving out what the Bible says. You say, Pastor, why do you, get, why do you talk about all of this? Because if we don't have what prophecy is and what tongues are, we're gonna miss the message today. All right, so speaking gifts, serving gifts, sign gifts. Now, someone might ask the question, well, Pastor, I got a question. How would I know what my spiritual gift is? How do I find that out? Well, we gave you a website on our church page that you can go, you can take a spiritual gifts test and that, that's great. It's not necessarily you know, 100% accurate, but it would give you a little bit of, of direction. The encouragement we've been giving is, man, if you wanna know what your gift is, just start serving. Pretty soon you're gonna find what you love to do. But I heard this illustration from my friend and your friend, Pastor Kurt Skelly, a few years ago that absolutely... It, it was mind-blowing to me, and so I'm gonna give it to you to help you maybe identify or clarify what your spiritual gift is. So imagine with me this room, no chairs, it's just a big table, and we are all sitting at it with a cup of milk and some chocolate chip cookies. 
How many of you, I'm speaking your language right now. Yeah, milk and chocolate chip cookies, that's my game right there. Let's picture, are you with me? Let's picture it. We're sitting here, all of us around this table. We all have a big, I'm not talking about a little, you know, eight ounce cup of milk. I'm talking about like 24 ounces. We got a big glass of milk. And I'm not talking like you just have one or two cookies. I'm talking the homemade cookies that are about that big. And you've got three or four of them. They're all yours. We're sitting there. We're all just talking, hanging out. All of a sudden through the back door, Brian comes in. Brian is carrying his big glass of milk. He actually got, he actually got the, the jug. He's not carrying just a glass. He's carrying the jug. He's not carrying four cookies. He's carrying six cookies. He walks in that door, and as soon as he walks through the door, his foot catches the edge, and Brian stumbles to the ground, falls to the ground. The cookies go all over the place. They're broken in pieces. The milk goes up, gets on the wall, all down the door, splashes all over the carpet, and there's Brian covered in milk, cookie crumbs sitting on the ground. You and I, we're sitting, eating our cookies, drinking our milk. Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud. What is your first reaction? Besides saying, (laughs) besides that, what is your first reaction? Now, your first reaction can reveal to you a little bit, perhaps, about your spiritual gift. Here's why. Exhortation is a spiritual gift, the encourager. Do you know what the encourager's first initial reaction is? Brian, it's okay. Man, it's all right, man. I spilled my milk one time. It'll be fine. There's more milk. The giver, you know what the giver's first reaction is? Hey, here's my milk. Hey, Brian, listen, it's, here's mine. You can have mine. The prophet, you know what the prophet says? The prophet's the one that says, I told you you should have been careful. Black and white, I told you. What are you thinking, Brian? The administrator, the person who rules, you know what they're doing? Hey, somebody grab some napkins. Hey, would you go get a bucket? Somebody find him a new, find him a new cup. Someone get him some extra cookies. Hey, are the cookies out upstairs? They're going to start barking orders. The administrator, the server, you know what they're doing? They don't listen to anybody. They just jump up, start cleaning. The teacher, well, Brian, Brian, let me tell you this. Brian, if you would have shuffled your feet a little bit differently and if you wouldn't have thrown that door open so hard, Brian, listen, you probably wouldn't have spilled. Had you, here's my instruction. The person with mercy, you know what they're doing? They're sitting next to Brian, arm around him, crying. (laughs) It's okay, Brian, I spilled my milk too. I'm sorry. The discerner, the person with maybe words of knowledge or words of wisdom, you know what they're gonna say? They're gonna say, you know, this reminds me of a passage in the Bible. There's a passage in the Bible that says we should desire the sincere milk of the word. And Brian, man, what a great life lesson you learned today. You say, pastor, that's kind of a silly illustration. It is a little bit of a silly illustration, but when I first heard it, it stood out to me. And here's why. I know my initial reaction. When I was given that illustration, Dennis, what would you do? Even before knowing the connection with spiritual gifts, I know my, I, you know what I would have done? I'm the guy that's like, hey, it's okay. Hey, listen, we have more milk. Hey, it's good. I've spilled my milk before too. Well, what is my major spiritual gift? Exhortation, encouragement. I wanna be the encourager. You know what? 
my dad, merciful, sympathizer. You do that illustration, those of you that have mercy, you're like, yeah, I would feel, I would almost tear up. Now, I would tear up over the loss of cookies, but I ain't tearing up for Brian. You see, what we need to understand is this, that your spiritual gifting, it is the way by which the Lord wants to use you to work in the life of the church and in the, in the individual lives of those alongside you within the church. Okay, your spiritual gift, God's desire is that you would use it for you, for the church, and for everybody collectively. So here's what we are going to look at today. We know about gifting. We've learned about it. We understand that God gives gifts. We understand last week we looked at the thought that the main thrust or motive behind our gifts should be love, right? Now abideth these three, faith, hope, charity, but the greatest of these is charity. So the platform by which we serve everybody should always be love. I don't know what my gift is. Start loving God, start loving people. Well, I'm gifted in this. Love God, love people. Your gift should always be used from the platform of love. But even though we know the gifting, sometimes we miss the purpose of it. Now, we've already clarified two weeks ago that God gives us a spiritual gift for the purpose of lifting up Jesus and helping the church. That's the main sole purposes, two purposes of the gifts, to lift up Jesus to help the church. But we could break it down even further, and that's exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read the first three verses together. We're gonna pray. Then we are actually going to read the rest of the chapter. It's 40 verses long. The verses will be on the screen, but we're gonna tune into them and then I'm gonna show you from these verses. We don't have time today to break it all up. I, I almost broke this up into two or three messages, but it would be very repetitious. So we're not gonna do that. We're just gonna get the, the, the context. We're gonna understand who Paul is writing to, what he's writing, but then we're gonna discover, we're gonna pull out from the passage five purposes for your spiritual gift in the church, five things that should be on your mind and my mind every single time we serve. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 14, let's stand together. Let's look at these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Beginning in verse number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said this, follow after charity. Remember, he's just written about charity, love. Hey, listen, pursue loving people. Regardless of what you do with your spiritual gift, love God, love people. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. But rather that you may prophesy, here's what he's saying, but it would be better for everybody to have the gift of prophecy. And Paul's going to contrast the spiritual gift of tongues and the spiritual gift of prophecy. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, that word unknown right there, it means unknown to the person using it. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But, verse three, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to or for the purpose of edification and exhortation and comfort. 
Here's what Paul is going to do. Paul is going to contrast the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. He is not doing it to create an argument. Okay, we have to know that. 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and thir- or excuse me, 12, 13, and 14 is not written so that we would argue about spiritual gifts. It is written so that we would understand the purpose behind spiritual gifts. And when you come to chapter number 14, he's not writing so people will argue over tongues and prophecy. He's writing to make a point. Here's the point. If we know what tongues is, it is that gift to speak a language unknown to you, but known to other people. Okay, God knows it and other people would know it. Prophecy, remember prophecy is the gift of bringing forth God's word clearly. If you know those two, he's making a comparison not to magnify one or to demagnify the other. He's making a comparison to help us understand the purpose of spiritual gifts. So today, we're gonna pray. We're gonna dive into this passage and look at five things that your spiritual gift can and should do every single time you serve the Lord. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take a minute in the quietness of the moment, would you pray and ask God to help you today? Ask God to help you to hear from him. And ask God today to use the message to encourage you and to strengthen you as you serve God. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word. We pray this morning as we go through the passage that you would help us today. I pray, God, that you would use it to encourage us. Lord, that you would use it to shape our service to you. And Father, that you would help us to grow today because of uh, the passage before us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. Now, I want, I want us to understand there is a lot that we're going to read today. These next few verses, there's 36, 37 verses that we're going to read through. I do not have the time to highlight everything that I would like to in these verses today, but I just want us to understand the context and the main thrust that Paul is getting at. So take your Bible and let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's pick up in verse number four, and we'll just kind of cruise through this all the way through the end of the chapter. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather, more importantly, that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, or there's an interpreter, that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophecy or by doctrine. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or what is harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise... Except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, 
And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel or grow to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else or else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For verily, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other, the people that don't understand, they're not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Here's what Paul is saying in that verse. Don't, don't let verse 20 confuse you. Be not children in understanding. Howbeit malice be, uh, be ye children. If you look back at verse uh, chapter number um, 13, and I don't wanna get off topic, Remember, he was talking about maturity. Hey, maturity applied to your spiritual gift is going to help your spiritual gift. There's just some connections there. Verse 20, or verse 21. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If I therefore, if therefore the whole church become together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, that when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If any man be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you, you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience 
as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Pause right there. Um, I'm gonna give context to those two verses because we're not gonna cover them. In that day and age, those of you that know Corinth, that were here in our study a few months ago when we studied the book of Corinthians, Corinth was a very reprobate place. Most of the women were seen as, uh, um, as objects because of the, uh, the temple uh, to the goddess of Diana that was in, in Corinth and because of all the prostitution. And so because of that, there's two ways of thinking and looking at these verses. Paul is writing and saying, there's groups among you that rightly so, they're kind of testifying for women's rights because the culture did not see women as anything but objects. Paul says, hey, the church is not the place to get in the arguments over stuff. There's that way of thinking. There's also the application that when he's talking about prophecy and then women speaking, there's almost the idea that people were beginning to argue in church over who had a better teaching or who had a better prophecy. And Paul is writing like, hey, the, the church isn't the place for everybody to vocalize their opinions. He just got done writing, if you remember verse 31 and, and uh, I think 30 and 31, when he talks about one prophesying or two prophesying, let them do it one by one. Hey, quit arguing over stuff. Okay, quit combating. That's not the place, all right? Uh, so that's, that's the thought there with those two verses. I'm not gonna come back to them because we will get way off track. Verse 36, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, how many of you be honest? There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a ton there. And honestly, we could, I could do three or four messages just in 1 Corinthians 14. But we've already covered a series through it. So if you wanna go back, I think I did a couple messages before in these passages, you can go back and get that. Right now, I just wanna get the context. So here's what we're gonna do. In contrasting tongues versus prophecy, Paul is making a case that prophecy or preaching is better than the gift of tongues. Why? Why is he doing that? He's doing it to prove the point of the gift's purpose, the purpose of spiritual gifts. So here's what we're gonna do. Five things, five purposes that you and I should have in our mind every time we serve. Every time we utilize a spiritual gift, regardless of what our gift is, five things that should be key. They're all throughout the entire passage and we'll see them. Number one, number one, every time you use your spiritual gift, you should have the goal to edify, edify. The word edify means to build up. The culmination is in verse number 26 when Paul says this. He says, let all things be done unto edifying. Six times through this passage, Paul refers to the gifts edifying or building up the believer. The word edify means literally to build up. It is a building phrase as we sang the song Quarterstone a little bit ago. Here's what Paul says. Hey, every time spiritual gifts are used, building up is supposed to be taking place. Did you notice through there, Paul said this in verse number three specifically, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, the purpose of edification. Here's what Paul is saying. Prophecy or preaching, one of the main purposes of it is to build up. To build up what? To build up the faith of the believer. 
When you and I come to church, and I recognize that I'm the preacher most of the time here at our church, but I understand that when I go to a church, or even I, I try to listen to preaching each week online, you know why? Because I need my faith built up. I need to be edified in the faith. Here's what Paul says. Spiritual gifts are to be used to build up people. God desires for your spiritual gift to build people up around you. And in these verses, when he contrasts tongues and prophecy, he says, the person that comes and speaks in tongues, think about it this morning. If I came today and I begin to speak to you, I'll say this a few times, I begin to speak to you in a different language that you did not know, is your faith gonna be strengthened? Are you going to be edified? No. So Paul makes a point all the way through the whole passage Prophecy is better than tongues. Why? Because with prophecy always comes edification. Now, I recognize not every message I preach is edification take place. Well, that's the problem of the speaker, not the God of the speakers. That makes sense? God's desire, though, is every time the word is brought forth, edification takes place, the building up. Look at verse number 12, when Paul says this, even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, see that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Hey, church at Corinth, you get excited about spiritual gifts. Get excited about growing in edifying people. When you come together, serve with the purpose of edification. I wanna build people up. Hey, you know what? Every time you serve at church, whether you have the gift of hospitality, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of prophecy or teaching, whatever your gift is, number one, you do have a gift. I'm telling you right now, there is not one single person in here. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are not the exception to the rule. You have been gifted and you have a responsibility to serve God with that gift. And when you do, your goal and my goal should be to edify. Did you catch the word edify or edification or edifying as we read it? Man, six times through this chapter, Paul says something about the gift building up the believers. Every time you serve, desire to edify, to build up. Number two, see, we're already cruising through the message. Isn't that good? Number two, every time you serve, your desire should be to exhort, to exhort now. The word exhort, verse number three, Paul says it this way. He says that he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to the end, to the point of edification and exhortation. A lot of times those words can go together and they, they really are synonymous. They could be used together. But in this specific passage, they mean something different. And here's what Paul is getting at. The word exhortation or to exhort in this passage, it means to come alongside, to stir up to action, to move, uh, to motivate forward. Um, picture a coach, a coach with a team. Hey guys, we got this. Listen, everybody do your job. We've got this. We've got this. You guys can do it. Come on, boys. Come on, gals. Let's get going. Picture a, um, a dad cheering on their son or their daughter. Picture a sibling cheering on their sibling, exhorting them. Hey, you've got this. You can do it. Yeah, this is the, the raw, raw group. Here's what Paul says. When preaching takes place and it is understood... 
people are gonna be built up and people are gonna feel, feel cheered on. What, what am I realizing? Well, I'm being exhorted. I'm being literally encouraged forward in my faith. I'm built up in my faith. I'm encouraged, hey, take steps of faith. Hey, you've got this. Keep going, keep doing. Here's what Paul says. Every time prophecy is done and it's understood, exhortation takes place. People feel motivated to keep going forward. Hey, I don't know about you, but have you ever been sitting in a service and maybe it's, maybe it's today, you're sitting in a service and you're thinking, man, things stink right now. I didn't want to get up tomorrow. I barely made it to church today. I just, and you're kind of discouraged and you come in and maybe you see somebody and they, they greet you. Hey, how you doing, man? You were on my mind this week. I prayed for you. Hey, and maybe a pastor gets up or the music team gets up. I don't know about you, but every time we sing that song, Christ be magnified, I am uplifted. I am encouraged. You know what that does? It helps Dennis say, okay, I can go another day. And I'm exhorted to take that next step. Here's what Paul is saying. Every time your spiritual gift is used, have the desire to exhort. He wrote it this way in 2 Timothy 4. If I get words out. 2 Timothy 4.2. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Hey, preaching, one of the primary goals of Dennis Fountain every week when I preach, I want to exhort you. What is that? I wanna help motivate you forward in your faith. You know what? Every time you give, serve, have hospitality, teach a class, every time you serve behind the scenes, you know what God says that does? It helps somebody move forward in their faith. Every single time we come together and we use our spiritual gift correctly, it's going to exhort. We're challenged all throughout scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number three, the author said this, but exhort one another daily. Hey, exhortation should take place in the life of a believer every day. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hey, God's desire is that you and I would come together to edify to exhort. Thirdly, to comfort. To comfort. Do you see it in verse number three? He that prophesieth speaketh unto men too, or for the point of edification, for the point of exhortation, and for the point of comfort. All right. I couldn't do this in the first service because they weren't in here, but they are the second service. Dennis, come here. Micah, come here. These are my sons, and they're, they missed the memo that Hawaiian was last week, but they're good. Micah turns 14 today. Ah, isn't that great? Here's, here's the word comfort, all right? The word comfort in this passage, it means to embrace, to console, or to embrace the discouraged and the hurting, all right? This is different than exhort and edify. Here's what comfort literally means. To come alongside, to put your arm around, to be there. Why? Sometimes life is hard and challenging and I don't need words. Do you know what I need? I need a hug. Here's what he says in verse number three. Prophecy is done with the purpose of edification, exhortation, and comfort. Literally, prophecy sometimes can offer you and I a hug in words. You ever been sitting in a service and someone speaks or says something 
and you feel like God just came right alongside you and said, that was for you. I know you're hurting. I know things are rough. That verse, that was for you. What is that? That's God coming alongside through preaching to comfort, to pull in, to hug. I just like hugging my sons up here. Thanks, you guys are saying. Here's, here's the point that Paul is getting at. Look at verse number 31. Here's what he says. He says, for you may all prophesy one by one. So one at a time, prophesy, get up and say, but all may learn, but here's the goal. All may be comforted. Hey, every time I serve, every time I give, every time I have the gift of hospitality or that I do something behind the scenes, man, I should desire to comfort people. And think about who Paul was writing to. Here's a group of people that were going through great persecution, a group of people that were going through ridicule and even martyrdom. And here's what Paul says. Hey, every time you come together, church at Corinth, you should be comforting each other. But you know what they were doing? Every time they were coming together, they were arguing. They were divisive. I truly praise God for the spirit of our church. And and I'm so thankful. We don't have a lot of divisiveness and all of that. But I know, and some of you you guys, some of you folks that have been here long-term, man, there was some time about 12 years ago, we had some divisiveness going on and people arguing over stuff. And I remember, man, talking to some guys, looking back and seeing Brian and Mike and and, uh, Troy back there and some of the guys in church that would be like, man, pastor, did you hear what they were saying? Man, what's going on? Why are they arguing? What's happening? Man, you ever been around church or a workplace or a team that's divided? Hey, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be around that team. I don't care how much we're winning. That's a, that's a bummer. Hey, here's what Paul is saying. Church at Corinth, you guys are really gifted, but comfort's not taking place because you're divided. It should be the goal every time you come together to comfort And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Hey, this is the desire of God that believers would find comfort with each other. So when we come together and use our spiritual gift, here's what Paul is saying. Use it with the purpose of edifying. Use it with the purpose of exhorting. Use it with the purpose of comforting. But fourthly, use it with the purpose to clarify clarifying. So not only do we edify, exhort, comfort, but we clarify. Eight times in the passage, you read the words under the word in understanding or with understanding. If you think back when we read through that, do you remember hearing the word understanding time and time again? And if one come in and not understand, if there be no understanding, the word understanding here, it means to clarify. It means to make clear. So here's what Paul is saying. If edification, exhortation, and comfort are going to take place, things have to be clear. And he uses four illustrations. We don't have time to read all of it, but four illustrations very quickly. Verse number six, Paul speaks to the illustration of his ministry, Paul's ministry. He says, basically, if I come in and I speak in tongues that nobody knows, what good does that do you? Second illustration, he talks about musical instruments. If somebody plays a musical instrument, but they don't know how to play it, they give an uncertain, rec- they're, they're, you can't recognize the song, the chord. It'd be like me. I mean, I took, I took piano for years. You wanna know what I can play on the piano? Nothing. I can't even play chopsticks. 
I can play the chorus of one song that I memorized when I was a teenager. That's it. I took piano. I was in piano on and off for five and a half years. I, I'm still, I'm very upset at my mom for letting me quit. She always told me I would regret it. And I hate to say it, but mom? Yep. Man, she was right. Aren't you glad recording? Get your phone out. Mom, you were right. Listen, I should not have quit. If I sat down to play right now and you said, Pastor, play Amazing Grace, I might be able to plunk it out. But after about like 30 seconds, you'd be like, Pastor, quit playing Amazing Grace. Brian, come play Amazing Grace. And he'd sit down and play and everybody would go, why? I understand. It's clear. I understand it. Third illustration, a trumpet call or a bugle call. It's verse number uh, eight, I believe. Verse number eight. Paul says, if a, if a trumpet or if a bugle, if that give off a, a, an uncertain sound, an unfamiliar sound, you don't know where to go to battle. He's, he's giving illustrations to connect with different people, all right? Who's he connecting with in this one? Probably soldiers. They didn't have radios back then, right? You couldn't be like, hey, we need guys at the front of the war. Hey, we need guys to the right. We need guys to the left. No, they would give a bugle call. Charge, retreat, right, left. They would give that call. Well, if the call goes... And it's just like, that's the trumpet. Man, you have a bunch of warriors who are like, I don't know what to do. There's no clarity, so there's no understanding. Fourth illustration he gives is daily conversation. Verse 9, 10, and 11. Notice what he said. I'm not going to read it, but he says this. If you go and you're speaking with somebody, you don't understand them and they don't understand you, you're going to think each other are just crazy. This is so true. Those of you that have gone to Israel with us, you go to Israel and you're hearing them speak Hebrew or Arabic or all the other languages that are represented by people there. You know what? I'm like, I don't know what anybody's saying. And then here I am asking for directions to the restroom. Restroom. How do I get to a restroom? And they're like talking. And the ones that don't know English, you, you make it nowhere. Why? There's no clarity. There's no understanding. Here's what Paul is getting at. Without clarity, nothing is accomplished. Okay, so the gift of tongues. Hey, if somebody came in and they're speaking the gift of tongues and they're just, they're up and they got the gift of tongues, but you can't understand them, no edification, no exhortation, no comfort takes place. Why? Confusion. Let's do this. Uh, Abby, can you help me from right there? Can you do it? Can you do it loud with Carlos' voice? I'm gonna have Abby. I'm just gonna have Abby. Many of you met Abby, Carlos's brand new wife, and I asked her if I could have her do this. I'm gonna have her read something to you, all right? She's just gonna read something to you, and I just want you to see how encouraged you are with this. All right, would you stand and do that? Go ahead, just from right there. Hmm. Yeah, keep going. That's good right there. Did you hear it? No, you keep going. You keep going. I'm just commenting. Oh, man. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that helpful? How many of you recognized a word or two? Okay. About a, about a dozen people who know Spanish. If I were to ask those who know Spanish, what did she just read? Those of us who don't know Spanish would go, oh, well, I know that. All she read was 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. That's all she read. 
But were you helped? Were you edified? Why? No understanding. Here's what Paul is saying. Our, underst- our, our, our gifts have to be done in understanding. Why? Because they're made to clarify something. What do they clarify? Well, our gifts are to be used to help others see Jesus more clearly. That's what he talks about. The understanding has to be there. Why? Because if it's not there, Jesus isn't exalted. If you don't know what people are saying, you can't be edified, exhorted, comforted. Does that make sense this morning? And that's where Paul says there has to be clarity. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 19, here's what he says. In the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Uh, an unknown tongue. Here's what he says. Hey, listen, it would be better for me to come and give you five good words. God has purpose with you than to speak 10,000 words in a language you didn't know. It'd be better for me to come and say, God loves every single individual. You could receive more from that than all the words of all the languages you don't know. Why? Because it's a clear message. When you serve, you know what our serving is supposed to do? It's supposed to give people a clear message of who Jesus is. So when we serve, we do it with edifying. We edify, we exhort, we comfort, we clarify, and lastly today and very quickly, we convince. We convince. Verse 23, 24, and 25, we're not gonna read it right now, but here's what Paul says. Actually, we will read it. We need to, it's so good. Verse 23, look at it. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. What is Paul saying? He's saying this, hey, when gifts are used properly, the unbeliever is going to realize their need of the Savior. When gifts are used properly, the unbeliever is going to realize their need of the Savior. That's what Paul says. If someone came in that didn't know Jesus and they come in and everybody's speaking in tongues or everybody's arguing over their prophecies or everybody's getting frustrated at each other, they're gonna go, you guys are crazy. But if they come in, and there's messages being preached in a language that they understand. There's serving taking place by people they understand. What does it do? He says it convinces them. We've said it many times. The ground is level at the cross, isn't it? Hey, church is a level place. True story. I had a man years ago walk into our church. He's from Moses Lake. He looked in our church. He saw two people that he knew previously, and he said, I knew those guys. It was not this per- perfect phrasing, but I knew those guys. They did not like each other before, but now they're friends. How? Hey, listen, that's something only Jesus can do. And when you serve and I serve with love at the heart, desiring to edify, exhort, comfort, and make people see Jesus clearly, you know what it does? It helps people realize, I want what you have. And that's it. A purpose of your giftedness is to make Jesus look good so that people want what you have. 
There's a ton more that we could talk through. Honestly, 1 Corinthians 14 is literally just, it is saturated in so much good stuff. But here's the point. Your gift has purpose. Hey, you have purpose. You are not the exception. Your gift has purpose. So when you serve, have this mindset. God, from a platform of love, whether I'm a giver, an exhorter, preacher, a teacher, God, if I have the gift of serving, mercy, whatever it is, missions, outreach, God, help me from the platform of love always have this desire. I wanna edify, I wanna build people up. I wanna exhort, I wanna motivate people forward. I wanna comfort, I wanna embrace those who are hurting. I wanna clarify, I wanna make people see Jesus clearly. And God, would you use me and my gift to help convince somebody that you are a great God? It's on purpose. It's no accident. So today, I wrap up with this thought. And I recognize maybe a touch longer today than normal. I apologize for that. But here's what I wanna tell you. There's groups, three groups in this room. Number one, there's a group that you are doing what you can to use your spiritual gift. You know what it is. And you're trying to grow it that group, here's what I wanna tell you. Would you pray and ask God to help you in love serve with these things in mind? If you're in that group, God help me with love to serve with these goals in mind. Second group, second group is a group of people that are here that they, they know about gifting. They know about the gift, but they're like the person hiding their lamp under a bushel. They're not using it. They're not involved. They're not serving. They're thinking, well, someone else will do it. Can I encourage you today? Stop thinking that. God brought you so you can be involved. Don't look around at what everybody else is or isn't doing. Look in your own life and pray, God, help me. Help me to use what I have for you. Now, the third group is maybe the people. I just don't know what my gift is. And maybe you hear a pastor like, I genuinely don't know. Talk to us, talk to me. I would love to help you look in the Bible and, and find out what you are, what you like to do. But here's the best thing you can do. Just start serving. Find an area, volunteer for it. Find an area, be a, be a greeter. Maybe that's not it. Well, after a week, you're gonna not like it. And you know what's great about serving at our church? You're not stuck for eternity. You don't sign the dotted line and give your life away. What's that mean? If you don't like something, find something else. But here's where it begins. Just love God, love people, and use your life for the Lord, and God will show you your spiritual gift. So whichever category you're in, there's a decision for all of us to make. But maybe today you're in the fourth category and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know if you died today that you'd go to heaven. I would ask you today, would you make the decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus?